Today we're going to the next level. The next level is the idea of mimale and sovev. Imminent and transcendent energies. So we're going to talk today about how Hashem interacts with this world. What does it mean, imminent? Well, we're going to talk about that. So as part of understanding, imminent means practical, means connected, that there's Hashem in this table. Like now. Right here. In the actual physical world, in the actual physical realm, there is a higher power that is creating not only the human being, but the animal. Those the laws of nature. The, and, but within it's the laws, but creating the laws of nature. Mm. And then there's the transcendent energy, which kind of is more superficial, it's more general. There's the general, and then there's the the, the piece of the part tangible. We're also going to talk about some other really important terms today. First of all, the next level, which is Shefa, which means the transmission of self. We're also going to start getting into this concept of creation called R, light. We use light as the metaphor for how Hashem created the world. Then Keli, the vessel. We use the vessel as the metaphor for the world itself, being able to handle the light. We'll get into that. We're going to talk about Giloi or, which means the revealed light. Think about if, I, if, you're, if, you're doing, if you're using light as a creative force, then there's a revealed element of it. But there's also going to be a concealed element of it, which is called or ganoz. Then you have to talk about the or makif, the peripheral light, and or pnimi, the permeating light. The or makif is connected with mimale, and the or pnimi is connected with sovev. Now that is the Kabbalistic jargon. Now we're going to get into the idea. Kabbalah follows a fascinating path when it comes to creation. There are many different ways by which Hashem can sustain the world. So we're talking about a creator who created. So the creator is higher than the created. This creator must constantly sustain the world. This creator is infinite. Infinite means not finite. It's not connected to anything that is within this world. But the world is finite. So an infinite creator, which is higher than the finite world, is now going to create a finite world. Or at least it's finite compared to Hashem's absolute infinity. So the infinite, the infinity of Hashem's energy, as it's expressed in this universe and in the world, has different ways of manifesting itself, which means like this. Let's just back up a second. An infinite God had to create a finite world. There needs to be a process. You can't just 
so the first process is you have to, in order to be a creative force, or to be create, to be a creator, which is what we're talking about, you need to start off by being higher, higher, not higher, higher, but higher, which means you have to have more. You have to be able to create. Not everything, everyone, every existence is able to create. Even our own creative energies. Some of us have different creative energies. So you need to be someone who has the ability to create. So first of all, just a little pause there. Because it's, it's a very interesting idea. Because that idea alone, you're not going very far. You're just saying there is something higher than the cosmos. That's right. right? So there's the cosmos, laws of nature, every day we see, we analyze, we, we, we measure, we quantify, we understand, okay? To some extent. So officially, our culture does not believe this. That's does right. Does not believe there is anything higher than that. That's right. right. Anything. It doesn't matter what you call it, right? Call it God, call it forces, intelligence, consciousness, anything. It doesn't matter. There's nothing other than the cosmos. So that idea alone, I mean, it would be, it's the first step into believing in God, right? But I mean, you've only taken one small step. You haven't conceptualized it beyond that, there's something higher than the cosmos. That's the point of Kabbalah, is that we're not going to go and believe in God in blind faith. We're going to piece apart. We're going to Every go here, single the element. The can you handle, as, as, as a student of science, yeah. as a student of science, yeah. can you handle that there is a creator and a created? I think this question goes beyond the possible scope of understanding of science completely. Because science is concerned with what we can touch and feel and measure. And by the way, measure with the instruments we have today. In 20 years, in 50 years, in 100 years, in 200 years, we're going to have different instruments. So all of a sudden we're going to be able to measure different things but all those things to us right now do not exist. We say they do not exist. True scientists are open-minded in that sense. They're gonna be like, okay, but maybe one day we'll discover. Maybe one will. A true scientist cannot be an atheist. Impossible. A true scientist is incapable of being an atheist. They have to be agnostic. Because you never know. One day maybe we'll discover some planet where there's a, a, well, a, a, a guy with a beard playing on a chessboard and it's affecting the world. Like, how do you know? We know nothing of the universe, right? What's that? He sounds super chill like that. <laughs> the guy with the chessboard. Well, imagine. If he's controlling the entire world, I think he's anything but I would chill. say that a true scientist... <laughs> I think he's probably pretty intense. If he's controlling every movement of the world. I would add to what you're saying. is A true scientist would be agnostic about science as well. A true what? A true scientist would be agnostic about science as well. You don't know where it fits. Because you've no idea. Yeah. You have to be agnostic. If you're a scientist, you have to be agnostic. You must. You can't be atheist. Impossible. Okay. Quick atheist, you're a believer. What does agnostic mean? Agnostic means you're not quite sure about the existence of God. Okay. An atheist means that you've atheist done... Atheist means there's no God. You have done all your research. I you know, know there's no God. Louis C.K. You know yeah, yeah. He goes... He goes Atheist, I find it very funny. Like, there is no God. He goes, Have you looked everywhere? Like, have you looked under that couch? Like, have you looked everywhere? How do you know? It's true. Like, how can you possibly affirm a negative like that? That's so monumentally huge. It's weird. It's like, it's, it's a weird belief, atheism. It's not intellectually, like, honest. At all. Well, it's another form of faith. It's, it's absolutely a form of faith. 
It is a, it is, it is more than that. It's more than that. It's a, it's a very particular, narrow set of beliefs. It's much more than just a general faith. It's a narrow set of beliefs. It's I believe that there's only the material realm that I can touch. I believe that. Really, have you looked everywhere? Like, how do you know? How do you know how it all connects? Ultimately, so many things. Right? You don't believe in the, 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 the vastness of the cosmos then. You just don't, right? Because there's so many forces, so many things. How can you possibly affirm that, right? True, a true scientist cannot be an atheist. What, what, the way they can be an atheist about is a very particular conception of God. They can say, oh, the God that I see in the New Testament. A lot of this, by the way, is just a uh, reaction to Christianity, to how far Christianity went in trying to mind control people, okay? You have the New Testament right at the beginning. It says every single word in this is literally true. If you do not believe in any individual action that's in this book, then you don't believe in the whole of it, okay? It's, there's, it's a literal tradition, the New Testament, okay? It's extremely literalist. Whereas the Old Testament, our tradition, we don't define a way that you have to read it. There's 70 faces to the, to the Torah. There are as many ways as the human mind can imagine, you can have a relationship with the Torah. Not the New Testament. The New Testament says we are a literal, every single word is, you guys know about that, right? Yeah. The beginning of the New Testament. It says that. That's part of the New Testament. You know that? So anyway, so because of how far the church went in trying to mind control people, the people who want to be scientific have to reject religion. They have to reject it as a whole, right? And so that's what atheism is. Atheism is, no, the God of, like, the Bible is not true. It's not true that there's no evidence that there's a man in the sky with a beard that's controlling every single action. There's no evidence of that. They're right about that in a narrow sense, right? But from there, it's a very big leap to go from there to there's absolutely... But that's such a linear way of thinking of a higher power. Very, very narrow way of thinking. It's, yeah, but more and more people are saying today they're agnostic. Like, it's, it's, become, yes. a, it's become like... A, they, people understand that now, and more and more people are like, oh, I'm agnostic. Like, it's, it's a trend now, that too. But. It's not just a trend. It's if you're going to be more... Like, if you're going to examine your beliefs more critically, you have to, at the very least, be an agnostic. You cannot be an atheist. Yeah. It's just not tenable. It's not. So... We're taking a very small leap here. We're saying there's a creator and a created. That's all we're saying here right now. That's any, the, the, we believe that every single element of life has to be created by somehow, which means this, this um, table in front of us was created. It was, now it wasn't necessarily, it was created. And then the elements, the raw materials that were created were fashioned into this table by an individual who knew how to fashion or a machine today, since we live in the industrial age, a machine that knew how to fashion. But somebody created the machine. But somebody created the machine, but somebody had to create the raw materials as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the raw materials didn't just exist. There had to be something that they took. So everything in our world, everything in our world has to come from somewhere. That desk over there at one point was a tree. How was the tree formed? The tree was originally a seed. Where did the seed come from? Where did the first seed come from? So all we're doing is taking a very small leap. The small leap is that there's a creator and a created. And I think that we can deduce by the fact that somebody had to take the wood and make that beautiful little... Uh, shelf over there that we can also say that somebody had to be able to take the seed and create that seed so 
Now, can we just take a little tiny pause here as well? This is yeah. a very important concept too, because creator and created. So what are we doing when we're saying creator? Because scientists believe there's been a big bang and there's been like laws of nature and there's been evolution and there's been change and transformation and then we got to where we got now, okay? We're seeing creator created. We're creating some, a form of a personification of the creation process. Um, we are gonna see as we go further, it's not gonna be so much of a form of personification. It's gonna be much more detailed than that. So let's go through the whole process and I think that you're gonna yeah. be quite fascinated by it. But I agree that this is now, we're opening up a new realm within our Kabbalistic study by having to go into a little bit of belief. Until now, we were com dealing completely with the rational mind. Now we have to enter the realm of belief, but not so much belief, just a, light, a little tiny step of saying that there's a creator. Now, one of these is called Mimale Kol Almin. Mimale Kol Almin is the imminent and filling energy of God, of the creator. Which means, this imminent and filling energy is given to the world and impacts the world the world's creatures in a very personal, particular way. Should we come raise? Oh, that's good. So there, Mimale There's an energy of God. There's an energy of the Creator that is creating this table anew at every moment. It fills. It impacts the world in a very personal and very particular way. It makes you different than you. It makes the table different than the chair. That creative process is very interested in every element of the world. Now, that's very different than what a lot of people think is that there was a created world. There's a lot of beliefs that created world and then Hashem left. This is Adam Marishan of Soloveitchik. Yeah. He's connected to the... Exactly, exactly, the primordial man, yeah, exactly. And then Adam Hashini is, is the, probably the, the transcendent. So, the other flow of energy. So this is the first flow of energy. The other flow of energy is called Sovev Ko'amin. The transcendent or the encompassing. It enters the universe, but its impact on the universe is general and not particular and specific. Now, before we get into the two, why do we need both of them? Why can't there be the same God that's just transcendent and specific? Why do we need two different energies? I don't know, one is like spiritual, like one of the, one of, like, okay, we're living, it's the imminent one. I think the first division of the unitary concept of like, it, okay, again, it's like, let's take the idea of God seriously, okay? If we take the idea of God seriously, there's a, there's a form of unity, there's a unity, right, in God. The first division in the world is what, to me, the first division has to be a kind of a binary division. That's why we have, we have, like, we have like male and female, we have positive, negative. It's, 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 it's part of the structure of our world, that the, the binary division, right? It's the first fundamental division. I don't know why, it's just, why do we need it? I mean, it, it, it's just a, a part of the structure of reality itself. Up, down, left, right. I mean, it's just, it's just there. It's, it's the first division. It's no matter what your, your existence, non-existence. It's like, like, we can't get beyond that right. we, we, you know? Kabbalah will just define it as finite, limited. 
what, what like, like all of these one? things, all these elements that you're talking about, they're all finite. They're, they are. Yes, that's right. It's it's it's. They're all struck. They're all the the basic structures of finite. Yeah. Or I don't know if it is a word, but finity. Absolutely, our universe is finite. Our universe is finite. So now, <laughs> let's let, let's understand it. I just wanted to put that question in your mind so you have something to go with. The analogy of Mimale, of Mimale Ko'almen, is the relationship between a, a student and a teacher. The teacher's knowledge has to be way above the student's knowledge. We're talking about a Rav, like, you know, someone, there are, you can have a teacher who maybe knows the same as you, who is a peer, you can have a teacher who knows one letter more than you. <laughs> but we're talking about a Rav. Yeah. Someone who you, you go to for guidance and for knowledge, who knows a lot more about the idea or, the, or these, the teachings that you want to learn than the student. Now, how is it possible that this Rav, who knows so much more than the student, can communicate to the student? How can the Rav communicate to the student? He creates a vocabulary for the student. We call that, in Kabbalah, one of the most important terms in all of Kabbalah. We call that simtsum, meaning contraction. He needs to contract his vast knowledge of the particular subject into a short and simple lesson so that he can properly communicate knowledge to the student. Now, if the Rav, if the teacher doesn't contract the information, he's gonna overwhelm and confuse the student. What's gonna end up happening? The student is not gonna internalize anything because the Rav just overwhelmed the student's limited comprehension. So the teacher wants to convey the message to the student. What does the teacher first have to do? The f- teacher has to say how much is in the intellectual vessel of the student. Because if, if I convey everything I know to the student, what's going to end up happening? The student's going to be... The vessel's going to shatter, so to speak. They're not going to be able to compress. Or let's go even, maybe something that you can even relate to a little more. What if I conveyed it in a language that you don't understand? What if I gave this entire class today in Yiddish? In Hungarian. In Hungarian. What if I, what if I did that? Then you're just going to tune out. Or you'll leave. Or you'll say thank you very much and you won't come back next week. Well, let's try a few minutes. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> if you like, I'll be very happy to teach a you class of Yiddish for you. Do you speak Yiddish? Uh, yes. Like fluently? Um, I, at, one point kind of. my, at one point in my life, I thought in Yiddish. Really? So you, you saw? Thought, thought in Yiddish. So You're better you, in Yiddish better. than in English. At one point in my life, I was better in Yiddish than in English. Did you say? No way. No. Not no, in English? I, I don't use it so much anymore. But you were speaking you to your family? I'm sorry. You yeah. You were speaking to your family mainly in Yiddish? Uh, yeah, my whole, yeah, everything was Yiddish, yeah. Or both? Wow. Yiddish is a very part of, a very, very strong part of my, uh, my childhood. 
And let me ask you, a lot of these books were written in Yiddish, right? A lot of the books are written, the either in Yiddish. Yiddish. written in Yiddish. No, in Hebrew. Oh, the Tanya was written in Hebrew. A lot of, there, are, there are many books that are written in Yiddish. Many, like a lot of them. Many, many, but most are written in Hebrew. In general, within the yeshiva framework or the Hasidic framework, Yiddish was spoken and Hebrew was written. You didn't speak hmm. Hebrew and you didn't write Yiddish. Well, English now is our Yiddish, let's say. Hmm. So let's say, going back to the point, let's say I decided to teach this entire class in Yiddish. You don't have the ability, why? Because you don't have the intellectual resources to be able to use Yiddish. Now, if you wanted to, you can go and you can study, but right now, your capacity is not one of which you can understand Yiddish. You don't have the framework to which you can attach what seems to be the mass of desperate and contradictory ideas. In order for the teacher to be able to communicate, to be able to teach the student properly, the teacher needs to contract the intellect, which makes a difference in him, by the way. It affects the teacher. Before he contracted his intellect, his mind, the Rav's mind, was flowing with information without any contraction of intellect. Now, what does he have to do? He has to pull himself back in his mind to create a space within the mind for the existence of the student. After he creates a place within his mind for the arena of the student or the students, he now has to find methods to convey his information because if the teacher contracts his intellect but does not find ways of expressing the contracted information, the student is still going to get nothing. Once the information reaches the student, the student reacts in a way conditioned by his own level of knowledge. So there's two elements here. It used to be the teacher's mind was free-flowing and was at a very high level. Now the teacher had to contract in order to make space for the student, but that's not enough because I'm sure you have a lot of teachers who made a lot of space for you, but you can't understand a flipping word they're saying because they're way too deep and way too um, difficult to understand. Or even their language or the comprehension of their language is difficult to understand. So there's two elements. There's the teacher has to make the space for the student and then the teacher has to find, instead of spending all the abilities trying to go higher and higher and deeper and deeper in his own study, he's now thinking of ways to find analogies to explain these very deep ideas to the student. To the stu- huh? Is that good for the we're not asking if it's good or bad. We're, we're, we're defining... We're, we're, we're defining Malikol Alman. We're defining Malikol Alman. It's almost like a bridge. It's a bridge. He's creating a bridge to the students. I'll tell you why we... I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. Because if you go back to the metaphor of Hashem, we, according to Kabbalah, the, the, the basis of Kabbalah is that the reason why Hashem created this world is because he, Hashem desired. The word is like desire. It was very few times we use an emotional word to describe an attribute of God outside of the emotions themselves and the way that they're described. 
desire to create a dwelling place in the lower realms. So in order for Hashem to be able to, in the metaphor, re, be able to have this desire, Hashem had to create a space for us, but not just a space for us. We have to, now the teacher now has to create the metaphors and the whole world of being able to understand this. So in this sense, you're saying that the metaphorical, the analogical understanding, it's even more fundamental in a way. So first he makes the space. First the space exists. The first the space has to exist. We call that the vessel. And then after that? The the space has to be filled. The space has to be filled. But in a way, in a way, the student will be able to become a teacher. That's the point. We don't teach students. We teach teachers. Because once you know something, it should inspire you to teach it to someone else. Now, all of these events and process even, even, even scientists think, think in metaphors. They think in terms of like the world is a machine, right? Like the world is a machine. It's like it's a metaphor. It's like machine is something that we create. It's like we put that that's the image of nature, right? Or now it's like no, not now it's like now we're coming more to a like you know the world is like a living organism. Mm-hmm. It's got some some mechanical aspect. Some, some people are also saying no, the world is a computer. It's like software. It's data. You know, it's all data. You know, it's like we create these metaphors. And then it's like, it's like we start to believe them literally. That's a problem. That, that's, we're limiting the understanding. We're limiting our understanding of the world to our understanding of it. Right. Right? It's like we need to understand that the metaphor is just a metaphor. The metaphor is a metaphor for us to reach a higher for understanding. For us to reach a higher understanding, but it's right. not literally true. In Kabbalah, every time we use a metaphor, we're just using it so we can understand something that's much higher than us. It's for us. That's right. It's knowledge is coming down to us. The story doesn't really exist. <laughs> The story is just there as a mechanism for us to understand something that's much higher than our intellect or the, the keli, the vessel that we have right now of understanding. We're good? Now let's go to the next level. All of these events, all of these processes will denote changes within the teacher and the student. The Rav didn't have someone else in mind. And now he has the student in mind. The student didn't have the information. And now the student has the information. The reason there are changes is that when you're talking about communicating intellect, one is talking about giving over some information to an outside entity. There's a student. The student is separate from the teacher. What the student is receiving now is information. Even after the student receives the information, one can't say that the student is one with the information. Rather, the student has been given information, which he may or may not later integrate into his understanding and emotions. So the teacher and the student are separate, and the student and the information is separate. We're still in the metaphor, remember. So the purpose is to 
interview the information. That's right. Actually, we believe that if you study something and you don't integrate it into your understanding and emotions, you defeated the entire purpose of studying it. The entire purpose of studying is in order to do, in order to integrate. Now, let's move out of the, uh, the metaphor right now. This is the bridge between the metaphor and the point. This giving of information from teacher to student is what we call in Kabbalah Shefa, meaning a flow of energy in which there's a transmission of one's very essence to the recipient. Shefa is this flow of energy. But the flow of energy is not just the flow of energy that I choose to flow. It's within this flow of energy is the very essence of the recipient. So, time out, right, right. So, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. The, this flow of energy is actual. It's not theoretical. The teacher is really giving a piece of himself vis-a-vis his information to the student. The information comes to an entity, a separate existing being. Since that is the relationship here, it causes a change in the teacher and in the student as well. Which means, let's put it a different way. Anytime someone gives of oneself to someone else, it's gonna make an impact on both the giver and the recipient. No, but that, that, that's the thing that I'm, that I'm trying to understand here is are we ch- using the teacher-student metaphor as a metaphor for God and man? Let's, let's get there. Let's but get there. Because that's... Let's get there. Because we, 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 we're, you're, you're, you're going God and man is a very... Ba- no, it's a very, because, it's very it, no, because student is clearly a metaphor. Wait, wait. Right? There's so many other levels. You're, you're, no. No, no, but you're, the point is, is that we were trying to compartmentalize. What are we, the whole point of this is we're trying to compartmentalize the creator and the created. In order to really understand the creator and the creator, we have to understand all the elements of how the creator creates and how an infinite creator can create a finite world. This is really not complicated. It's very hard for us to grasp that because everything we know is finite. So that. to start saying that so it's Hashem and, 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 no, no. and us, just you, you just that's not what I trivialize something that's, that's very complicated. That's not my question, though. That's not my question at all. I think you're just confirming what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, yes, it's complex. It's difficult. It's, it's hard for us to even understand these concepts. Therefore, we're creating a metaphor, an analogy of the student and the teacher in order to understand some part of it. That's right. Okay. Some that's part right. of it. Some part of it. I just wanted to clarification on that point. What are we trying to understand? We're trying to understand one element of it, which is the element of mimale ko'almin. What is mimale ko'almin? Now let's get out of the metaphor. Is the expression of God. Or pnimi is what we call it. Pnimi is the pervasive energy that fills the universe in an inward manner, permeating every creature. This emanation is limited and finite. It's a, it's a creation, 
before our world. It was created by a creator in order to create our world. It's the tool through which our world was created. It's limited and it's finite, which means it's not infinite. Infinite would mean it was totally connected to the source. It's still connected to the source because it was created. Since creation and creatures or creatures are limited as far as how much they can absorb, if this energy were infinite, it would overpower the minds and the hearts of the recipients, causing total chaos and confusion. According to Kabbalah, that is how Hashem tried to create the world originally, and it didn't work. The vessels were shattered by the light because the light was too strong. The light was like infinite? It was infinite light. Hashem wanted to create the finite world. So in order... In order to create a world that was going to sustain, which is our world, Hashem had to create this idea of a Mamaliko Amen in order to create the world. It's, it's limited. It's a creation that's higher than us, but it's still a creation. So this is the, the second try? Um, no, many, many tries before that. Okay. But does it matter? No, I guess it's not. fun. It's fun to know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> What's fun to know? A lot. How many tries did Hashem make before? It's very interesting. I was had a, I had a debate with a bunch of university I students. Those yeah, I had I had a debate. That, that that's why I'm not <laughs> saying it because I had a debate with a bunch of university students. It's like, almost like magic. And they were debating like how old the world is. So they were not, they were throwing out the word, but scientists say what is it? What, what is enough? For, now it's it's fourteen billion. That's what I heard. 14 billion. 14 said, billion is the universe. I turned not to them, on the planet. I turned to them with a very simple. So, how old are you? 20? You're 20, right? Okay. So, if I were to say that the world is 100 years old, what did the world look like 100 years old? Any idea what the world looked like 100? Yeah, you probably can picture how it was. Ford just had created the car. I mean, you have a basic there were no idea. Airplanes. There, were... there were no airplanes. You have a basic idea of what there wasn't. And maybe what there was, there was a guy, a milkman. You probably heard stories about the ice, the ice, uh, huh? The milkman. Yeah. The milkman. No, I'm saying, but you probably heard stories about, I'm talking to 20-year-olds, right? Yeah. You know, you probably heard stories about the ice bucket. They had to get new ice every day. There was horses and buggies that were primarily used. Only wealthy people had cars. Okay, now let's go to 150 years. What do you know about 150 years ago? Yeah, very little. Okay, let's go to 200 years. What do you know about 200? You're 20 years old. What do you know about 200 years ago? Give me a, a, a description of what the world looked like 200 years ago. There were no zippers. There were no zippers. Look at that. Wow. So what we know is what we know. Okay, so now I'm going to go... I'm going to go... <laughs> real, I'm going to go even a stronger step. Tell me about the world 300 years ago. Just 300 years ago. I'm not talking about 14 billion. I'm just talking about 300. Tell me about what did the world look like 300 years ago? Do you have any? 1718. Yeah. What, do you have any idea what the world looked like? Yeah, I It was before the United States, before we Canada. History. Yeah, we know from movies. From movies? History. Okay, fine. I'm going to go 500 years. 500 years. You know what? I'm just going to make it really simple. What did the world look like 1,000 years ago? Uh-huh. 
That was even before the Crusades. What did the world look like in 1018? I'm not a historian. I don't know. Yeah. But so you understand what I'm saying? Okay, what about 5,000 years? What about 50,000 years? Some people the historical okay, okay. lens is so... It, it, it so what is it? No, what I'm saying to these, to these students is you can... I don't care what you can say. You can say 50,000 and you can say... F- f- a billion, a billion is exactly the same thing. What do you know? Yeah. <laughs> I know, but you started saying that there was a shatter. God had a first try, no, no, no. few f- first tries, and this this happened. Okay, so if you you seem to know what happened, so why don't you tell them that's how much happened? Because I want to go. I want to go in context. That's we don't why. need to know. I want to go in context. That's why. But I understand that we don't need to know. Like, no, no, but no, 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 no. I, I was just I was just kind of de- describing the yeah. issue with the age of the universe. So what you're what you're saying is that. God is fallible. No. Not God is fallible. What I'm saying is what's beautiful about the Torah is that it's very easy for the Torah to still be a beautiful book and not to have anything that's R-rated in it. Or not to have any mistakes by any of these great people that lived a couple thousand years ago. But the Torah doesn't do that. Because the Torah is not a history book. The Torah is a life book. And the Torah knows that we are people who are flawed and mistakes we, it's very easy for Kabbalah not to tell us that Hashem made other worlds before this. And those worlds didn't work out. But that's not the point of being in this world. If you want to use our lives and who we are as a metaphor for being in this world, and you want to use Kabbalah as a metaphor for being in this world, then you have to know that our lives are not supposed to be perfect. Our lives are going to be deeply flawed. It's a book for humans, clearly. I mean, it's, it's right. It's a book it's for deep, humans. Actually, it's, it's interesting because this weekend we're going to have Shavuot, which, what, is, what do we celebrate at Shavuot? And I'm going to talk a lot about it over the weekend. But what do we celebrate at Shavuot? We celebrate it's, it's a marriage between God and the Jewish people at Shavuot. That's what it was. It was a marriage. And the Talmud tells a beautiful story about how the angels wanted the Torah. And the whole back and forth, there was a beautiful court case that happened in heaven when Moses came to get the Torah. The angels said, we're closer to it. We, there's more we can do with it. And the result of that court case was where Moses, God says to the angels, you're right, maybe we should not give the Torah down below because the angel would have to wait to pray and it would change the whole basis of the cosmos, the spiritual cosmos. And so God turns to Moses and says, make your case. Yeah. So Moses gets up, the Talmud says, takes the Torah in his embrace and says, Hashem I am Hashem, your God, took you out of Egypt. Is there another God? Why would it have to say that to you, angels? Have no other gods. Oh, holy, 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 the angels say, heaven forbid, no other gods, there's only one God. So why is it talking? It's not talking to you. Do not kill. When was the last time you killed? Heaven forbid, heaven forbid, heaven forbid. Do not steal. Heaven forbid, heaven forbid. It's a book for humans. They're already perfect. The angels are already perfect. If you're perfect, this book doesn't apply to you. And that's what's beautiful. The power of Shavuot, the power of re-experiencing and re-receiving the Torah every year as we do, and we're going to do in a couple of days, is that we can reaffirm the fact that Hashem knows that we're flawed. And our point is not to be perfect. So... so I'm just trying to analogize that with what we talked about at the beginning of the class, which is the whole, um, if you've sinned, okay, and you 
perform a return to your good essence. Yeah. Okay. That's an extra virtue. Okay. It's, it's almost like what you're saying with the Torah. It's almost like it's more useful or it's even written more for the people who are more imperfect. That's right. Right? So in a way, the tzaddik, when we talked about the, um, the Benoni and the, uh, what was the, 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 the tzaddik was, was the other one, right? The person who almost doesn't even have, they're just born that way. It's a nature. Like they're born with that nature of like, they just don't sin, you know? It's almost like the Torah is written more for the Benoni than it is for, for those people. To a certain extent, yes. To a certain extent. Yes. Even though these people are more well, like because the, the, like, you the said, type. like you said, Shivan Panama the Torah, like you, there's, there's different, yeah. there's 70 facets, so there's a way for the Tzaddik to also look at the Torah and find the, the, the same meaning. But if you look at the Torah at face value. But if it were only for people like that, if that was mankind, Moses' argument to God against the angels wouldn't have been as convincing. Yeah, but that isn't mankind. And that's not the purpose of creating this world. Exactly. That's right. There are always going to be great people, righteous people in every generation so that we have mentors and we have people that we can look up to and say, ah, oh, if I wanted to be perfect, this is what I would look like. And we can glean from them and we can, we can study from them and we can be able to experience life through their lens to a certain extent so that us flawed human beings can have a... Where is that, is that Moses and Angels parable? What book is it contained in? It's in the Talmud. It's in the Talmud? Yeah. It's in the Talmud and it's, it's in the context. It's like one rabbi is recounting it. Yeah, it's part of the oral Torah. Yeah, it's a beautiful story. It's, it's a cool story. I'd like to read it. But, but let's read it right now. Let's do it right now, right after. Yeah, um, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. It's very apropos. I'll, 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 the court case of Moses versus the angels. I know, I'm which it, which, uh, I will, I'll find it for you. Let's finish this and then let's go into the Talmud. <laughs> you brought the book. It's like amazing. We'll do it. <laughs> However. In order for the finite world to relate and receive infinity, the infinite light must conceal itself. This is accomplished through symptom. Contraction and minimization of the infinite. The result being gilei or, which means God's energy manifested in a revealed and open way to each and every person. That is the idea of Mamale. Mamale can only happen through Tsimsum. There is an infinite God that contracts and minimizes the infiniteness of the infinite God. As a result, there's now Gilear, there's a revealed energy. That energy is able to be in an open way an infinite God can have open energy in a finite world. It's an unbelievable idea. If you think about it, if you meditate on it, if you focus on it, you can think about it. It's an unbelievable idea that an infinite God is able to have an energy that can be contained in a finite world. Because otherwise it would just break apart. Exactly. I encourage you to think about this and to meditate on it because in order to truly understand the next level, which is going to be Sovev Ko'almin and Makif, we have to understand this first. Why? Because we are more connected to this. Where Sovev is we're less connected to. An infinite God created Mimale Ko'almin, a concealed light. 
in order for us finite beings to be able to experience it in a revealed way. Good. Questions, comments? Is that nicotine? Yeah, nicotine. Yeah. That's interesting because so there's gonna be part that's gonna be revealed and part that's gonna be concealed. Okay? Going back to the analogy of the teacher and the student, okay? The student can understand a lesson. Okay, so that part will now become revealed. To him, to That's the student. Correct. It was always revealed to the teacher, right? That's right. The teacher has more knowledge that is still concealed to the student. That's right. Right? So the student keeps learning. The whole goal of the learning is to reveal more and more of the concealed light, right? That's the whole purpose, right? So that's, in a sense, the purpose is that we seek to know more and more. We seek to reveal more and more of the concealed light. Why is it concealed? Because we're limited. And it can only be revealed to us in bits and pieces and analogies. And, right? When our vessel is ready. When our vessel is ready. So the whole point is to go further up and up and deep and deep into the concealed light that we don't yet understand. That's right. So what about when Abraham actually spoke with God? We're going to get there. We're not there yet. We're starting with ourselves. But that's a good question. Let's first understand the way God's light manifests itself in our lives. And then we can start moving our way up. We need to start with ourselves. Because that's the only thing we understand. A bit of... A bit. Like, we just stretched a lot today. We took... And this is the first class, I think, that we really stretched ourselves above our limitation. This is the first step. There's many other steps to this. Yeah, but um, so so, but, it, but it's interesting because so how you see even just let's call it in the human sphere, strictly in the in the Memare world, okay? Strictly in the Memare world, we have an infinity of light that is concealed from us. Infinity. Just in the human world. That's right. That's right. So imagine. Think about our potential. Think about our potential. Think about that we can tap into that light. Just by tapping into the light of Mimale, forget about Sofev. We didn't even get there yet. Just tapping into this light is infinite. For us. But... So why are you limiting yourself? It's just the beginning, right? Yeah. But why are you even limiting yourself? Forget about... The next part. Well, we'll get to the next part. But, but, right now, why are you limiting yourself? The way I was, I, was, I was looking at it is how humble you have to be. Like, the people that take what they know as a limitation, right? Think about just how limited they are, right? You'll create a narrative, and that's how the world works. That's how I work. That's how human beings are. We create these ideologies, these little devices, right? That's right. But just think, just if only with the human, with the memale part, 
if we revealed all of that light, it's like we would never be able to hold on to that. Well, we would be able to because it's supposed to be for us to be able to. It would be so amazing. We would be working at a potential that we could never imagine. An unbelievable potential. I, I just, you know, this is like to me, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an invitation to be extremely open when it comes to your understanding and your knowledge, right? That's Where, right. Whereas typically, again, religious learning, it's viewed as being very closed. That's right. Like, this, 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 don't question, don't ask. That's right. But this is like the other extreme. Right? Exactly. This to me, in a way, it's more fun. It's, it's, it's the science before the science. It's like before we could be scientific, we had to adopt something like this. Like the first scientists were all catalysts, guaranteed. For sure. 100%. They had to be. They had to have been. They, they couldn't explore the world in that way without having that openness to the general framework. You understand? Like, it but it's just... interesting, like you say, that a lot of people look at it as a closed study where it's actually a very open study. It's probably more open than many other schools of thought. It's defined by openness. It's defined the by basis openness. of it is openness. Yeah. And you're going to see as you move up, you're going you're to understand that openness in a very different way. As you move up the chain. How could you not be open? There's all this concealed light that you just don't understand. You get a little packet of it. You know? But you can, you can connect to it at any time you want. Provided that you're open. Provided that you're, no, not only open, provided you have the vessel to be able to hold yeah, it. The, vessel. the most the important vessel. thing is you creating your own vessel to be able to hold that energy. Mm. See, your job, and we're going to get further as we get into the idea of Orot and Kalim, of light and vessels, is you need a vessel that can handle the energy. And that's your part of your job in this world, mm. to create the vessel. Mm. 